Okay, this is Thomas Young and Damian Lupo on April 5th, 2016, talking about millennial stuff. The thing I was going to mention was there's Odesk and Elance and all this stuff. And I've got this contract that did some research for me. And she randomly sent a message and asked me if I had any work for her. And I said, yeah, I actually had these questions I need to have answered about 401ks. Here's the four questions. And she said, oh, sure, I can do that. I can have it done by the 14th of April. It's 290 bucks. And I went, all right, well, I mean, that's that's research time. I, I don't want to go screw around with it. And I've been told about this other thing called Ask Answer or, or something like that.com. And I went, hmm, let me check it out. So I went over to it, typed in my thing. It was $29 to answer a question. And then that was within 24 hours, they'd get back to you with their research people. And if you wanted it in one to two hours, it was an extra $10. So I said, okay, I'm going to bump it up by 10 bucks. And I asked four questions, not just one. An hour later, I got this response back with all this stuff, $40. And it was way more thorough than all of my Googling I had done before looking for these answers. And I just laughed and I went, okay, now people are undercutting Odesk and Elance and my contractors that are focused are getting, they're going to get squashed quarter of the price, more better product. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I did in college was I would sign up for these sort of services and try to get myself out there and try to not pay myself a, a huge amount, but make significant money enough to go buy a couple beers with. And I found that I could not compete with the guys in China, the guys in India, the guys in wherever they may be that are just, you can get so much stuff done for not a whole lot of money. And it didn't work for me. I didn't get one job just because I would have had to work for $3 an hour or $4 an hour. And yeah, it was just not worth it. So these services are great, just not for American college students. Yeah. So um, before we get too deep, let me let me introduce our guest today. This is Thomas Young, recent UT graduate. I've known him for about a year and a half. I think we met in 2014. Is that right? I think that's about right. Okay. So he graduated a year ago and it's, it's interesting his perspective on what's going on with millennials because he's, I don't know if he's proudly or not proudly, but he is a millennial. And there's a huge shift that's really impacting everybody. But before we get into all that stuff, I have to share with you guys the story, the, the intro stories, like when Thomas showed up at my house, because we met on TaskRabbit and I needed some help with some stuff. And so Thomas shows up and I had some things for him to do, but why don't you tell the story about what happened? Yeah. So I was working for TaskRabbit my senior year in college and I get a ping one day to go help with random tasks. I don't even know if it was listed on the app. So as any self-respecting college student would do, I hopped on my bike and showed up at Damien's house. He opens the door and says, where's your car? I didn't bring a car. I'm a college kid. I don't have a car. And he just looked like he was about to call TaskRabbit. But yeah, so we made it work and we actually hopped in another one of the great millennial or I don't know if it's a millennial thing, but my generation has access to these things called Car2Go, which are little cars that you can just hop into at any time. And drop them off anywhere. So Damien and I walked over to the nearest car to go, hopped in one, uh, and then I drove to pick up another car that I needed to use for all these tasks and made it work. So it's used a think three different companies that have been around in the last three years to accomplish this one task, and it worked perfectly. To me, that was it. Told me a lot about you, and it told me about what's going on with all these industries, these ideas that are being taken from idea to implementation. And then it's becoming a tool where people can fix problems like that. You couldn't have solved that problem a few years ago. They're just, I guess you could call it taxi and then wait an hour or something. But I like the fact that you went, oh yeah, I don't have a car, but that's no problem. I'll just do this. And it was like second nature. Nope, I can fix that problem. You didn't even really hesitate. It was, 
yeah, I have a bike, but I can have a car. Give me like 15 minutes. Yeah. I'll search for one on my phone and then we'll go get it. And then I'll go get another car. And it was, it was kind of awesome. So when we met almost two years ago, that was your senior year in high school, right? In college. Yeah. In college. Right. So what were you thinking then? You were, you were doing TaskRabbit stuff. So you were paying for beer, I guess, <laughs> and whatever random stuff you had to pay for. And then what else, what was on your mind? Because you, you had less than a year to go until you were going to be out of that little bubble, but you were working your butt off doing all these different random things. So what was going through your mind then, if you remember? I joined TaskRabbit for two reasons. One was for, like Damien said, beer money. And because I was, I mean, I was lucky enough that my dad put me through college and he paid my room and board and I'm one of the lucky ones, but I also wanted to do other things in college and not just go to school and study because I'm not very good at that. So I wanted to have disposable income that I could just go out and have fun with my friends with. So that was one of the primary reasons I joined. But then as I started going more and more to these different tasks, I realized that it's a great way to meet people. And it's a great way to go from your college bubble into the Austin bubble which is the best place to be, I think, right now for a 20-something in the country, arguably. So it was really about getting out there and getting my personal brand out there and, and meeting the right people. And it's led to some great things. And ultimately, it's allowed me to stay in Austin out of college and meet really cool, interesting people and work on really cool things. What were you thinking you were going to do after college, when, like a year before you finished? What was your mindset in terms of after I graduate, I'm going to get a job? Or I'm, what were you thinking? What was your plan? Well, I started stressing about it about my senior year because my GPA was so terrible. So I, I knew that I couldn't really go the direct route of applying at the job fair to everything because there's a lot of people that have better GPAs than I did. But I've always been confident of my people skills and of my ability that once I meet someone, I can create a relationship. So I wasn't worried about, I was worried about meeting enough people and finding the right person that would lead to that right position out of college. But yeah, I was worried. I think like any senior college kid is worried what he's going to do the day after classes end and your hangover from your graduation party is gone. It's kind of like, well, what do I do now? So this was just a way to meet people and a way to get in front of the right people and show them what I could do. Would you say that most people are doing that? They're kind of focusing on meeting people and networking or they're mostly focused on and obsessing around or about their GPAs? The GPA. I mean, I would walk out of tests that I knew that I had passed, had done okay on, and just see people crying and people so stressed and people in the library not getting out and not meeting people and just worrying that if they didn't have the right GPA, they weren't going to get a job ever. They really defined their, not their net worth, but their personal worth by a stupid number on a sliding scale. And I found that really sad because I was having way too much fun to worry about those sort of things. I was working my butt off with TaskRabbit and I was working at at meeting people and I was making really great friends that will ultimately be my business partners in the future. So yeah, I was just watching all these kids stress out and I couldn't, I couldn't understand why. I couldn't understand why they were so stressed out. We're already at one of the best universities in the country and their personal worth is zero. It's dependent on an A, B, or C on a test. That sounds a lot like how, and I did the same thing. I made this mistake where I had my net worth tied to my self-worth. And so you start off in school where your self-worth is tied to your academic worth and your academic worth is a number on a piece of paper and you end up going through life associating yourself with these digits on a piece of paper instead of the relationships. And so you have this experience with TaskRabbit locally, but then you were, you were doing this work outside of TaskRabbit where you were competing globally. So tell me about that. 
Yeah, well, I first joined the Elance and Freelancer.com and those sort of services. That's what kind of the first thing I did. And I realized that I was competing globally and that it wasn't a way to get myself out there. I couldn't talk to people. They couldn't see me face to face unless it was through a through a camera. And yeah, the competition is fierce on a global scale. What did you see with the competition? Listeners, a lot of them have experienced this, but maybe not as much as you personally or, or what I've seen with hiring people. So what did you see when you were saying, okay, I want to get this work? Give me some idea of the numbers. So yeah, so I would bid on a on a job that I found interesting or a job that I thought I could do well. And I'd bid an average between $15 and $20 an hour. And what kind of work would this be? Uh, a lot of it was research for companies, people that just had entrepreneurs that didn't have enough time that needed to outsource kind of the reading and the research and wanted just the, the bullet points. I didn't really get in too much into the graphic design sort of stuff just because I didn't have the experience and I didn't feel confident that I could take it on. But it was a lot of web research is ultimately what it was and a lot of organizational stuff. But that's mostly what people were outsourcing. And my 15 to $20 an hour didn't fit into the model that or into what people just wanted to pay just because they could get it so much cheaper. So I was getting undercut by 90% and not getting any of the jobs. So the people that were winning were charging less than $10 an hour. Oh, yeah. Probably in many cases, less than minimum wage mm-hmm. in most of the places. And were these people incompetent or were they, what would you say that their level of ability was? I think they were highly competent, but not in this country where it's expensive to buy things. And so, yeah, a lot of uh, people in India, a lot of people in China that have the skills necessary to do all of these jobs and have the ability to charge three or four dollars an hour and live off that and probably live off it pretty well. But it just doesn't work if you're local, I guess. I totally get that. And I think I've had the same experience with both sides of that, uh, being a freelancer at times and then hiring. You did something after you started working, after you graduated, where you had tasks that you were supposed to be doing and you're, you were responsible for, which most people can appreciate. Mm-hmm. You have a job and here's what you have to do, accomplish this thing. So what did you do with that? Because you didn't necessarily do the work. One of the things is once I kind of was on the other end of the table and I was fully employed and I was working at things was that I didn't want to do the boring work. I wanted to go do the interesting work, the work that I felt was worth the money I was getting paid. So I started outsourcing everything. As an employee? As an employee. And there was no budget for it in the company, but I just found it worth paying out of pocket for just because I could accomplish so much more Mm -hmm. and ultimately use it as a tool to make myself look better in the eyes of my employers. So it was really kind of fun to see it flip and be on the receiving end of the work instead of doing the work. And I would get bids from people in the country and not one of them ever won because I could do it for so much cheaper. And that's when the bulb went off in my head that is that I was never going to succeed on freelancer or on Odesk or whatever, just because somewhere across the world, someone's going to do it for less. So 7 billion people out there and, and people are tasting this idea of wealth creation. And in some places that's like when I've, I've traveled all over the place in Myanmar, the average wage for someone working out in the sun, 10 to 12 hours a day was a dollar per day. And so people start developing skills and they, they get good enough to where they can compete. And now they're 90% cheaper mm-hmm. than anyone in the United States. And so you took that. I think people go, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. I just have a job, but you, and I don't know if this is your generation, the millennials or what this is, but you said, I remember you said to me, I valued my time. I wanted to have somebody else do this boring stuff. And then I had the afternoon to do something else and may or may not work. But the bottom line is your employer was getting what you had promised. Uh, And so it didn't matter whether you did it or they did it. So did you end up spending a lot of your money or was this a big chunker? 
No. So, I mean, if I spent maybe $10 a day, that was a lot. That was a big day. To outsource. To outsource, yeah. So, it was not a lot of money and it was a lot of work that I got for that $10 a day. How many hours do you think you saved on average if you spent 10 bucks a day? Probably four or five a day. So, if somebody's listening and they just think about the routine, rudimentary tasks that they're doing, thinking about getting half their day back for 10 bucks and the stuff that they're not even enjoying. Mm -hmm. It starts to make you wonder, is the model I'm involved with, is the model that I've bought into, is it really the best model? Well, I think one of the interesting things and one of the reasons I guess I was able to exploit this system is that I was working for someone 30 years older than I was that wasn't even aware that these sort of services existed. So I, I kind of fall into the cracks where it's, I know what I'm doing. He's not, if he knew how much more I could have done instead of just what I was tasked with, he would have given me five times the amount of work and my day would have been managing freelancers around the world instead of whatever it may have been that day, strategic thinking or what more macro level views of the company. But he was just happy that my work was getting done. And I was happy because I could go out for a run and go for a swim or go for a bike ride and everybody was happy. But yeah, I think once my generation starts becoming the CEOs, the managers, the entrepreneurs, they know that this exists. So you're not going to be able to get away with it as easily. You're just going to get a lot of work done, which is going to be great. Well, and, and there's this shift that's happening even now. So it, things started getting outsourced to China and India. And then the next cheapest place that had competency seemed like it was like the Philippines and Vietnam. Well, now there's a shift that's going further west. And it's almost wrapping itself back around here, but that's to Africa. And there's a billion plus people that are coming online that literally had no connection to anything forever. And they're highly competent. I've got contractors that do brilliant work over there. And I love them. And they're three, $4 an hour. And that's the wealth that's being created because their minds are being connected. But the next shift in that is the artificial intelligence where things like Watson are going to, they're going to take those type of people, just the rudimentary tasks. So then when you think about that, the artificial intelligence that does jobs, like you're talking about the data input or whatever, those, those $10 for four hours of work, where does that leave most of the people that are used to showing up, punching a clock, doing these things over and over? I mean, is there a concern? Do your friends and people your age have a concern about that? Or do you guys just feel like you can adapt? I think the biggest concern with people my age, people just getting out of college, maybe in their first couple of new jobs, is that you have to get ahead of the curve, is that business is always going to be about people, but it's just not going to require as many people. If you put yourself in a position where you're indispensable, you can save yourself from a lot of this. And I think that's one of the stressors of many college students is that they know that they're getting outsourced and they know that their entry-level position can be replaced by a computer. I just read a, an article a couple of weeks ago about Goldman Sachs laying off something like 20% of its workforce. I don't know if that's the exact number, but all these high-level analysts that they pay $250,000 plus a year to do research is going to be replaced by a computer that can do a year's worth of research in a week or less. And that number is going to keep shrinking. But there will always be people at Goldman Sachs. It requires people to operate. So it's maybe you're becoming an engineer for those computers. But you have to get yourself in front of the curve. You have to be one of the people that is indispensable. And we're just now figuring out what that is. Anything that requires staring at a computer is replaceable by a computer. So I think the people side of business is going to actually become really important. It's interesting because it seems like there's a cycle that's, it used to be about people and then it was about technical skills. And now it's, it seems like it's shifting more to people again, because the technical skills are such a commodity mm -hmm. and with artificial intelligence and the acceleration of processing power, the computers are becoming closer and closer to the human brain to be able to adapt and create and learn and everything else. So I would think that a lot of people are going to be really scared, the ones that are addicted or feel entitled. And 
the majority of your classmates, do you feel like they felt like with a, a college education, they were pretty entitled or do you feel like they were, they were really aggressive or what was the general feeling? This was like a huge class. How many, you know, tens of thousands of students? Right? Yeah, there's 52,000 undergrads at UT. So it, it's a large sample size. Honestly, it depends on where the individual student was from. The Americans, the American students that I interacted with, yeah, they thought college degree, I'm set for life. And there, a shift did start to occur, at least in the four years that I was there. I saw that shift where it was when you go in kind of wide eyed and rosy cheeked and you come out going, oh my gosh, there's a lot of people that are trying to do the exact same thing I'm doing. And then you'd get these kids from overseas, you know, China, India, wherever it may be. And they know that they're fighting day in and day out for their, not their lives, but their livelihood. So they were very aggressive and very competitive, but it goes back to what we talked about earlier. They saw that on a GPA. That's how they wanted to reflect that work, which is a lot of work, but I don't think the GPA was the best way to reflect it. I think they had an opportunity to be here on a visa, maybe for four years. Get out and meet as many people as you can. Get some champions that are going to help you stay here if that's what you want. Don't do it on a piece of paper. It seems like that's the overriding theme. It's about these relationships. It's about connecting. And where do you learn how to connect other than like a fraternity or a sorority? Where would you, because you learn how to go and memorize things or technically how to program something, but the skill, like learning about money, learning about relationships, goal setting, all that kind of stuff. I mean, is that something that's really focused on in school or how do you learn that stuff? I think for me personally, I was very lucky in the way that I was brought up and I was always with people. But that being said, I still, when I was in college, went to every Austin Tech happy hour. I still went to every meetup group that was interesting to me. TaskRabbit was a huge part of it. It led to me being employed at a company for a year and a half out of college and gave me great experience. Ultimately, it's about just getting yourself out there. Don't go to the career fair because everybody goes to the career fair. Do something just a little bit different, like separate it by one degree and you'll be by yourself and it will lead to success, or at least it did for me. I love the message. I love finding that the 1% difference and something that, that I remember about you and the way you showed up. When you showed up, it was a big mystery. What am I going to be doing? What kind of work is there? And it didn't really matter what it was because you just the attitude you showed up with was, I'll get it done, whatever it is. I'll just, if I don't know how to do it, I will figure it out. I'll learn it. I'll YouTube it. I'll, and that's, that's part of your generation too. It's a YouTube generation figuring it out, but it doesn't mean that somebody that's 50 or 60 can't do the exact same thing. They can learn how to do things. And if they don't, they're going to get run over. And that attitude is priceless. What I found with people that were trying to come in and get a job when I was hiring the last round, people would come in and say, here are my credentials and here's what I need to make. They didn't even bother asking what I needed or how they could contribute. It was just amazing that mentality. And most of those people are probably still looking for work or they're, God love them, probably serving coffee at Starbucks <laughs> because they don't get it. We're in a world where if you don't create something of value that's more than you cost, you are a liability. Absolutely. And that was the, the difference when you came in, you were an asset to me. It, it, the moment you became a liability, you had been outside back on your bicycle, heading back to campus, sure. hanging out. <laughs> Makes sense. So people that are in this space, they're in their, their 20s or 30s in general, because I mean, you, you can kind of understand their their hopes and their fears and, and things that are going on being in that generation. What advice would you give for them now in addition to building up those relationships and networking? What What's working for you and what are you working on that you think would be helpful for folks? So for me, it's a lot of just getting in front of as many people as possible and just having something to talk about read an article and then just remember the high points. And then you have something to talk about and you can build a conversation from that. My sister is, is guilty of this. And if she listens to this, she's going to kill me. But 
she studies, she's a neuroscience major. So everything she talks about, everything she does on a daily basis is so high level that nobody understands it. And her boyfriend, <laughs> who, who is a great guy, got her a subscription to The Economist. So she would have something to talk about other than neuroscience, which nobody understands. So yeah, just educating yourself. You know, there's great websites with all sorts of information, like Business Insider is one of my favorites just because it has news, but it also has just lifestyle things to talk about. So yeah, just educating yourself on like day-to-day stuff that you can contribute to a conversation and then actually getting yourself in front of people. And if it's not someone that might benefit you now, it's a great practice to just talking to someone, spend more time with your friends, talk to them, talk to them about something other than the other person, talk to them about that article you just read, but really developing that, I guess now they call it EQ instead of IQ. I think IQ is being replaced by things like Watson and EQ is the next big thing that will lead to success because ultimately you can surround yourself with the right people if you know how to build the relationships with the right people. Totally agree. If you looked out at the gazillion social media platforms that are out there that people are using to connect or to learn about what's going on or who, what people are doing and all this kind of thing. What's the one or two you think are most important for success that people should be focusing on before they go after the others? In my last position, I used LinkedIn a lot, but that being said, there's a lot of noise because everybody's just trying to get something. So it's hard to use it. I think building a solid base on like something like Twitter is important because it you can reach a lot of people and you can get your thoughts out on a platform that is all about just getting your thoughts. It's not about posting the pictures of that party on Friday night. It's more thoughtful. So I like Twitter and LinkedIn. If you can cut through the noise and find the right people is a great way to connect. What would you do with Twitter in terms of getting through the noise if people are wanting to network and connect? Because I have random people that will show up and have their canned, I want to be your friend and I, and I generally will accept people or I want to be LinkedIn, I guess, connected to you. But it doesn't really tell me anything. It doesn't tell me that they saw something about me that was interesting to them or they wanted to connect because they wanted to contribute or something. What would you do other than I want to just link and connect to every single person on LinkedIn? What would you give me strategies? Have something to contribute. There's a great little field on LinkedIn that says, what would you, you know, write an optional comment, write something that's tailored to them. Maybe something about how you're going to solve one of their needs that you've identified in either in the company they're in, the position they're in, but how are you going to help them and not how are they going to help you? So if you make it about them, nine times out of 10, they're going to connect just out of curiosity. And there you have your opportunity to set up a call, set up an email, whatever it may be. But just having something original to say, the same thing on Twitter, you know, retweeting everything isn't that original. Have an original thought or contribute to a conversation in some way that's more than just, a, you know, regurgitating what everybody else is saying. I think that's a great way to get in front of new people. Kind of sounds like your online dating world. If you just if you wink or you just like somebody or whatever, and you don't actually say anything and it can be exhausting because people don't respond. There's so much noise. There's so many people that are going after the people's attention. But if you don't say something that shows that you actually took a minute to investigate, then you look like everybody else, unless you happen to, I guess, catch their eye. But in truth, there's so many people and there's so much of what you call noise. You've got to differentiate or die, as Trout says in his marketing yeah. book, differentiate or die. One of, the, one of the clearest examples I've seen of this is if you use a service like Tinder, unless you're incredibly good looking, you have to do more than say, hey, because hey is not going to cut it. You go on the girl's profile and you look through it to see something. Maybe she likes horses or maybe she likes tennis or whatever it is. But then tailoring your first message to her in a way that she will know that you kind of did your homework and it takes all of 20 seconds but nobody's doing it. Just go in and find something interesting or send them an article that you think they would be interested in seeing. And that's already doing more than 95% of the world is. 
So like I said, with the networking for college students, take it one step further, take it one degree further and, and you'll have success. It's just about taking that one last step. That's awesome. So what's next for you? You've been out of school about a year and you've got some experience post-school. And then I mean, what, are you, what are you thinking about now, two years after we met? What, what's on your, in your crosshairs? So I'm, I'm working for a great company out of San Antonio right now, doing kind of part-time biz dev work. And I'm looking for new opportunities. Anything that's solving a real problem that people are going to get excited about, that is going to have some sort of meaningful impact is something I want to get involved with. It's not the next social media platform that might reach what they call unicorn status, but it's something that's actually going to have an impact in the world and, and is going to benefit somebody in some way, I think is worth getting involved with. So yeah, I'm, I'm just out and about right now talking to people and seeing what's next, you know, kind of excited to see where it all goes because it's a big world out there and there's a lot of cool things going on. So you're not panicked about having space in your life for a new opportunity that doesn't bother you. You're actually excited. Yeah. I mean, I went out this morning and I went for a 30 mile bike ride and followed up with a little bit of a run and felt a little bit guilty about not being in an office. And then I realized there's a whole lot going on. Take the morning off, go do your thing. And then in the afternoon, you get after it again. I don't feel like if you're not horribly busy all the time, you're not being productive. Okay. So there's one thing that I want to throw out there before we wrap up. And that was, you made a comment about your brand new Ferrari that you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you brought up the car that you bought not too long ago and you didn't go out there and bury yourself with no. debt. No. And it's significant because you have the ability with this space, you're not panicking because of overhead. And I, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not the norm. People have buried themselves. They want to have a flashiness. They, if they're unfortunate enough to have this giant debt from school, that's one thing, but then they, they immediately go out to get the brand new car and they, and they just, this lifestyle that they want to live, maybe they live as, as kids or whatever, but they don't have the ability to just explore. They're carrying this weight on their shoulders. Is that what you saw? Yeah. I mean, I'm different than the 95% in that I'm very, very, very lucky to not have student debt. But that being said, I'm terrified of anything that's a monthly recurring payment. When I have the ability to, I'd like to buy a house for cash. I don't want anything that's tying me down. So yeah, so I went out and bought a great 2004 Grand Cherokee for 3000 bucks. It's not the most luxurious car. It's not the nicest car, but it works and it gets me from A to B and I don't have to pay for it. It's paid for. And that gives you freedom because even at this point, not being fully employed right now and exploring my options, you know, you got to live a little lean. Reminds me a little bit of college again, but that's okay. You can do it. And as long as you're confident that your rent can get paid and your bills can get paid, you just go drink shittier beer. You don't have to, you don't have to drink the nice IPA. You just go drink a Bud Light and everything's fine. You know, it's, it's not about eating at the nice restaurant and having the luxury to, to find out what's next, I think is, is great. And it's worth not having a nice car over. Yeah, there, there's a value that I think a lot of people don't quite focus on in terms of freedom. They don't, they don't make that a high priority. They make the sizzle and the, the shine the bigger priority. And then they're stressed out and unhappy and you don't see a whole lot of smiling. Yeah. But in your case, that's not the case because you're definitely smiling and you're just, you're not weighed down. It's, it's pretty awesome. It's definitely fun. I mean, the, the ability to just pick up tomorrow and go travel or if you're unhappy at a job, just quit and go do whatever you want to do. I mean, I think that's, that's underrated. And at this point where I'm between things, I think it's, one of the most valuable things I have is just this ability to A, relax after one thing and like breathe and decompress and then just jump into the next thing and go into it without needing this huge, stupid salary, which you can't get at a startup or at a small company because you got to build it first. 
So yeah, not having overhead, I think is super, super underrated. I hope people will take that to heart. And if they do have overhead, you guys listening, if you have overhead, get rid of it as quickly as you can. And if you don't have it, don't go get it. I've been in that space where I can appreciate where Thomas is at. And for those of you who are not in that space, you want to be there as soon as you can. It will change how you live. It'll change your experience of life. But when you have the overhead, it's modern day slavery and bondage, in my opinion. And the faster you and people can get out of that, I think the better off we all will be. So is there anything that you want to throw out there or you want to share with people before we we come to a close? No, I think we've discussed some really fun things and maybe talking about overhead, you know, just pay cash for your Ferrari. You don't have to, you don't have to finance it. (laughs) I wish I had done that when I bought my Ferrari, but no, I mean, I buried myself with a mortgage payment on wheels. Yeah. So yeah, good advice. If you are looking at the the horsey car, definitely write that check. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing your millennial wisdom. I think your wisdom applies to people 20, 30, 40, 50. I don't think it makes any difference because you have a unique insight and this, this bridge between being in a bubble as a child and being, and now you're in the outside more or less. I think it's valuable for people to get that because I don't, I don't think most people even recognize what's happening. And you have a huge generation that has a lot of influence and it's helpful to understand what you guys are thinking so and what you're doing. So thanks again, man. I appreciate it. No, thank you. This was, this was a lot of fun. All right, you guys, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for paying attention and tuning in.